Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. One of my greatest delights is to go to New York City and to retrace the steps of one of the greatest revivals to hit America. It was the Prayer Revival of 1857. It started after a stock market collapse, great economic woes, and then an unemployed tailor by the name of Jeremiah Lamphier started a prayer meeting at a church not far from Wall Street. Each and every noon, they would gather to pray, and the crowds began to grow, and then the prayer meetings began to multiply, not only in New York City, but across America, even into Canada. It was a tremendous revival of prayer. In my library, I have a book written and signed by Jeremiah Lamphier. It's called Alone with Jesus. Can I share a bit of that with you? Jeremiah Lamphier uses a phrase from our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, Enter thy closet. If the closet be slighted, the Christian becomes like Samson, shorn of his locks. There can be no life in religion unless that life is animated by secret prayer. There can be no joy in religion unless in secret silence of the mind, your God and there your heaven you find. Alone with Jesus by Jeremiah Lamphier. God has always called us away. Away from all else, away from others, away from things, just to be with him. I sense he's calling us today. Come away. In Daily Devotion this week, I'm focusing on the theme of prayer. And more than a subject, I'm focusing on a lifestyle that should be part and parcel of every believer's life. That God calls us away, away from our shame. When God first called to Adam, Adam and Eve were hiding in their shame. Shame is rooted in eating from the wrong tree, not eating from the tree of life, but eating from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Shame is knowing enough that we live beneath our privilege, but it's not knowing Jesus enough to know that we don't have to live that way. So God calls us from our shame. Have you ever heard me tell a story called The Trash Man Comes on Friday? It's a true-to-life testimony from a woman named Chris, and it touched my heart several years ago. Chris was involved in ministry in her local church. She was happy, content, fulfilled, being used of God, but she sinned. We like to say sin is sin, but some sins are so devastating to ourselves and others Chris committed one of those sins. She lost face, but others lost trust in her. So she decided to end it all rather than to disappoint anyone else anymore. She swallowed a bunch of pills, but was intercepted, rescued, saved. And when she came to in the hospital, she felt so ashamed. People were silent around her. They took her home the Friday morning following this ordeal. She was there at home wondering, what do I do with my life? I've not only lost face, 
I'm ashamed even more now. And a sense of sorrow swept over her. She felt she couldn't breathe and she didn't know what to do. But she heard a noise outside, a steady beeping noise, and then a roar, voices. At first she wondered, what is this? And then she remembered, oh, the trash man comes on Friday. And at that moment, God spoke to her. It was like the pealing of a bell resounding in her spirit. In the midst of her shame, her guilt, her regret, she heard the voice of the Lord saying, as surely as you can count on the trash man to come by on the designated day to pick up your garbage to cast off that you rolled to the curb the night before, don't you know I will be there for you? I feel the presence of the Lord right now telling that story. If you and I have enough confidence that the garbage man, the trash man, is going to come pick up the trash each and every assigned morning, how much more confident should we be in our great God to know that he will be there for us? He's calling us. He's calling us in the midst of our shame in the midst of the land of regrets and shouldas and couldas and wouldas, and he's saying, come away. He's drawing us from that land of failure into the land of beginning again. We like to say he's Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, author and finisher, but slow down. Why are you going so fast? He is Alpha. Don't race to Omega. He is beginning. Don't race to ending. He's the author. Don't race to the finisher. He wants to help us start over. He's calling at this very moment to those in shame. He's calling us away. But it's not just shame that keeps us from spending time with God. He's calling us away from our busyness. There's a story in the Bible in 1 Kings 20. It's a parable of sorts in the Old Testament told by one of the sons of the prophets to carnal King Ahab. As strange as this may sound, the prophet asked someone to give him a good and proper thrashing, to beat him, and someone obliges. When King Ahab sees the poor condition of this man, he asks him about it, and the prophet tells a parable. I was told to guard a prisoner, to keep him in custody, but I got busy here and there, and the next thing I knew, the one committed to my care went missing. He was gone. I will leave the story there except to say, We are prisoners to the tyranny of the urgent. We get addicted to busyness and we grow ever farther from a call in the garden that says away, away, come away. God is calling us from our busyness. He's calling us from our overly structured lives. He's calling us away from our distracted lives where we're running here and there. And we allow what is precious and important to go lacking. God is also calling us from religion as usual. During the time Jesus walked on earth, the people most noted for their prayer lives were the Pharisees. They wanted people to know them as people of prayer, so they prayed publicly and often, not privately. They brought attention to themselves and not the Lord. Much of the Lord's teaching on prayer was directed against this group of people. 
and what they had turned prayer into so that it was the commonly accepted form of prayer in their day. Prayer was no longer intimate. It was pedigree. It was a source of pride. Prayer was no longer alone time with God. It was me alone time. Prayer was not fashioned in divine desperation, but in a form of self-satisfaction. Prayer was no longer conversation with God. It was speech-making, posturing, not positioning themselves before God. It's in the great love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul seems to address this, that within the church of Corinth had arisen a group of people who gravitated to one of four corners of the room. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, I would call those the worshipers. They were in one corner. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and knowledge, let's call those the theologians and put them in another corner. Though I have a faith that I can pray and move mountains, let's call those the prayers and put them in another corner. And though I give my body to be burned, let's call those the workers and put them in another corner. But here's the way Paul addressed these four groups. If I worship but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I know God's word in and out but don't love, I'm nothing. If I pray but don't love, I'm nothing. If I give and work but don't love, I am nothing. And that's the introduction to perhaps the most beautiful passage in the New Testament. That all of these good things, if done in the wrong way, avail nothing. Paul spoke to the Corinthians and in his writings basically said, you do know I could be the big fish in each of those four little ponds. To the worshipers, I was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Even now I speak with tongues more than all of you. To the theologians, meet the man who is writing more than a dozen books of the New Testament to those who pray prayers of faith. Meet the one who saw the miraculous unfold on his missionary journey, not one whit behind any other apostle. And to the workers, those who give what they have, meet the one who suffered so much, beaten so much, weighed down by the care of the churches. But Paul, in effect, says, I could be the chief of one of these four little tribes, but I won't. I'm very thankful you're drawn to the word. That's good. I'm very thankful you want to worship God and praise him. That's good. I'm very thankful you choose to serve God around the church and that you are drawn into a place of prayer. That is all good. But if any of those things are done without love, we are just resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. We are nothing and will gain nothing, but love never fails. So away, away, come away. Nothing else matters but to be alone with the Lord. You need some alone time with God. There is a certain serenity about people who find time with God. They are fully persuaded. They have a quiet confidence that God sees, God cares, God will work things out. People who frequent that place of prayer are rarely seen in the company of the scornful. Rather, they are the good Samaritans amongst us. They see others and they lift them up. People who spend hours alone with God guard that time. 
They don't fritter away the moments on the trivial or the so-called urgent. They find the time. They make the time. They value the alone time with the Lord. They are like Hannah of old. They come in one way and leave another. They have daily divine encounters, and it colors all they say, think, and do. It alters the trajectory of their daily lives and their prayers. They are like none others. I dedicated the book on prayer to two women, Audrey Simpson, Woody Thompson, mine and my wife's maternal grandmothers, both incredible women of prayer. I have my grandmother's prayer list. It's 11 by 14 piece of cardboard front and back with things and names to pray for. Pray for Jerusalem, our country, our leaders, our ministers, our pastors, family members to fourth and fifth generation. Hundreds of names on that prayer list. Not one enemy there. Because the closer you get to Jesus, you're closer to his heart. And the closer you get to him, the less you hate and the more you love. I can hear him calling right now, away, come away. And this week we are devoting to the subject of prayer. I hope that you find this to be a unique season where you're drawing closer to God, that you can sense his calling to come away. You can feel his presence all around you. Others, let them look for the conspiracies or just let them look for the cares of life. Others are rising in angst and anger, but we are a people who find the presence of the Lord. We hear his voice saying, come away into this deserted place and let's spend time together. Let's grow our relationship. That's what happens when we pray, when we come away with the Lord. Thank you for sharing a daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed, 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way. Until we meet again.